You're listening to Radio Luke's Listen. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 81. The title of this episode is Smallpox, the COVID of the 19th century. Well, I'm going to apologize in advance on this video. I, if I seem like I'm a little bit unprepared, because, well, kind of I am actually a little bit unprepared, but I have a good excuse. This was my mom's birthday today, and we all celebrated her birthday with a really great meal. Uh, my, my brother came over. He cooked a, a salmon dinner for everyone, and uh, it was outstanding. Some Made some pasta Alfredo kind of thing. Now, my brother can cook. Now, see, this is one of the big differences between my brother and me is that you know, like my idea of cooking is throwing you know, Marie Calendar TV dinner in the microwave. His idea of cooking is actually making something that, you know, is kind of edible. Uh, <laughs> of course, he was a, a chef for a long time, did that for, for many, many years, and uh, is very good at it. And it, it definitely shows when he comes over. It's always a, always a real treat to, to uh, have, him, have him cook. So that was a, a great present that uh, he gave mom. And uh, mom had a good birthday, and uh, she's in, in good health. She has her aches and pains, but she's in, in good health, and I'm, I'm very thankful and, and blessed to have her in my life. I know that's not always the case for everybody, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. So yeah, happy birthday, Mom, and uh, look forward to another birthday for you next year. So anyway, but uh, sometimes when you're celebrating birthdays and things like that, well, stuff gets a little bit busy. And I had a lot of things going on today, and so I didn't get quite get to my stuff as early as I wanted to. But I did want to make sure that I got a podcast out for you. Because why? Because I'm a very dedicated podcaster, that's why. This is, I really like doing this. I want to be able to bring these things to you. So I really, you know, it's something I enjoy doing every week, something I look forward to. It actually doesn't really even seem like work to me. It's really something I enjoy doing. So anyway, I wanted to sit down and get a podcast out. And yeah, maybe it won't be up to my, uh, I don't know, maybe it'll be better than usual. Sometimes you don't prepare and you end up being better than what you are. So who knows? So anyway, um, but yeah, what I wanted to talk to you about chiefly tonight was a, a really interesting article that I found last week or earlier this week, I should say, on on COVID and about some of the history on vaccines. And it's very interesting when you study the the smallpox outbreak that took place in the latter half of the 19th century, and you find out that the outbreak and the treatment and the curing of that that particular outbreak all are very similar sounding to some of the things we're dealing with today with COVID. So I want to go over that with you. I, I was absolutely just floored by it. And I want to share some of that article with you. So we're going to talk about that. But before we get to that article, I did want to go over a few brief items with you regarding regarding COVID. And so this is maybe some COVID news briefs here. So let's take a look here. Oh, what did I do? All right, this is an article that I, I came across in, in the Wall Street Journal. Of course, as you, you're probably well aware, if you followed the COVID story at all this last week, you're probably well, well aware of some of the stuff that's going on up in Canada right now. And, you know, what we're finding out from our neighbors to the north is that it seems they no longer live in a, a free country. And they've been taken over by some sort of a, a new world order COVID dictatorship. And it's, it's really disturbing to watch this. Uh, I feel so badly for the, the Canadians that are having to deal with this. And, and also it's a bit frightening. And I wonder what this implies for, for America, because of course, you know, our, our government, you know, one of the things I was watching Tucker Carlson this past week. And one of the things that he said, and, and I think he's absolutely right to say this is that 
there hasn't been a peep out of our State Department about this. You know, he, Tucker Carlson made some point. He says, well, in our State Department, you know, it exists to wag a finger in the face, you know, uh, of everybody, all these countries who are abusing human rights. Well, there hasn't been a peep out of the Biden administration's State Department. They've said nothing about, uh, about what's going on in Canada. They've, they've issued no statements disapproving what's going on in, in Canada. And what you have is you have a government that has steadfastly refused to meet with or talk to in any way these truckers. I mean, when, when these guys, when they were, were coming into to Ottawa, and this goes back at the end of January when this whole convoy thing was just getting going, Justin Trudeau got up and he made some comment. He says, well, they have unacceptable views. He says he's met with people that he agrees with, but these guys have unacceptable views and I'm not going to meet with them. So I was just back of the hand, just get out of here. You know, we're not even going to talk to you. And and that is is very bad faith negotiating. Well, it's not even negotiating at all. I mean, it's obviously we're going to say he's saying I'm not even going to talk to you. Your 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 views are so far outside anything that's acceptable that I'm not going to discuss your concerns with you. I mean, these are ordinary, hardworking, you know, blue collar, salt of the earth type Canadians. Uh, they're regular people, and they've had their lives upended. And, and stomped on for the last two years by the government of Canada. And nobody's listening to them. And nobody will listen to them. Nobody has listened to them. And they've been trying to get somebody to listen to them and to sit down and to talk with them and to understand their concerns and do something to guarantee them some relief and get them their lives back. And nobody in the government wants to do this. All they want to do is go in and, and, uh, and crack down on people and throw them in jail and threaten them with all kinds of, of punishments and call them horrible names. It's, it's really amazing to watch this thing. I think a lot of us are shocked to see this going on. I, I suppose maybe we shouldn't be after the last two years and seeing some of the things that have gone on here in, in the United States, but also in, in Europe, uh, in Australia, in New Zealand, and, and in Canada. It, this is a, it paints a very terrifying picture. It's like this this globalist technocratic tyranny that is being imposed on us in the name of saving us all from COVID. So yeah, it's it's pretty disturbing. So yeah, here's this article. I wanted to see if I can get the get the screen share up here going. Just a moment. Let's take a look here. That's not what I wanted to do. All right, so let's try this here. I'm technically challenged here this evening. Okay, yeah, there we go. Okay, so what the Canada's truckers know, and it's uh, the subtitle, it's no longer a liberal constitutional state. A coercive Ottawa rules over daily life. And it's by Mary Anastasia O'Grady in the Wall Street Journal. And she writes here, when Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau declared last month that truckers protesting his COVID-19 vaccine mandates in Ottawa hold, quote, unacceptable views. He accentuated the real reason the drivers decided they had no choice but to go to the streets. The government, headed by the Liberal Party, has become decidedly illiberal. The truckers engage largely in peaceful acts of civil disobedience, call themselves the Freedom Convoy, but they aren't an organized group with a leader. Some set out from Western Canada last month in opposition to a vaccine mandate. Along the way, others joined the original pack in person, in spirit, and even in solidarity. I don't like that word, solidarity. But anyway, on February 8th, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation reported the tow truck operators on contract to the city of Ottawa were taking a hard pass on request to haul vehicles out of the protest areas, according to the city's top public servant. 
Note that Mr. Trudeau didn't say that blocking the Ambassador Bridge connecting Detroit and Windsor, Ontario is unacceptable. Rather, he declared the truckers ideals beyond the pale. And I think that's a really good, uh, good way of stating that. So it wasn't, it wasn't even the, the blocking of the bridge. It wasn't even the, the protest in, in Ottawa that he's called unacceptable. What he called unacceptable is their ideas. The idea that they wanted to be free from the, uh, the Ottawa COVID jackboot. And they wanted to live their lives as normal people. That was unacceptable to uh, to Mr. Trudeau. Well, that really does get down to the. I, I think that really does. I think summarize this whole issue. This is about ideas. It's about a concept. You know, whether we're going to live in in a free society or whether going to whether we're going to live in some sort of technocratic dictatorship. And obviously, Trudeau and many other. Very powerful, very mainstream world leaders think that we we need to live in a, a technocratic dictatorship. And I say that's nonsense. There's nothing Christian about that. I um, realize this is Canada. I'm thinking here as an American, but our constitution would certainly not support that. I don't think the Canadian constitution supports that. I found a video. I thought this was kind of interesting. It's a video by the title of it. Is, uh, is Alberta Father in Ottawa sends a powerful message on the state of tyranny in the world. Let me play a little bit of that for you here. So I think this gentleman makes some very good comments. Uh, so we got on this journey here. We started on the 23rd of January and uh, had no idea what we were getting ourselves into to come all the way across from, from home. We, we, we noticed right away when we were coming across on how divided, what we thought the divided of a country was we realized real quick, like day two, on how together our country stands. And it was it became more powerful as we each day went on. And once we got over here to see what we got to see with the people that have came out to support us here is amazing. And, and uh, yeah, wouldn't change it for the world. Exactly what we we uh, believed in our heads, know, knew in our heart that that was not the country that they were trying to portray being all divided you know believing the numbers being everybody being on different ends of the spectrum on things what we understand now and we know for the truth is that we're together we're standing in this all together understanding that we need our freedoms and uh brings us to today we're on uh i guess the 15th today and uh all we wanted to do since we got here was to talk to our to the leaders of, of, uh, of power that uh, somehow the people are in unison that they want the freedoms back and all they wanted all we wanted since we got here was a conversation to, to be had about that and that hasn't happened and uh, no conversations have went on with any of the leaders to be and- okay so did you hear that toward the end. It's about a five-minute video. That's uh, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I thought that was a really good point that he made here, and, and it's that you know they want a conversation with their leaders. They want a conversation with the people who are running the country, with Justin Trudeau and and some of perhaps some of the other people. But nobody will talk to them. All they want to do is is condemn them, call them terrible names, and and dismiss them and and haul them off to jail, find them. Uh, possibly ruin their lives. I mean, these guys in Ottawa are really laying it all on the line. I mean, they are they they have zero institutional support, none. I mean, there's no major institution in the government in anywhere, probably in Canada, that supports them. 
The only support they get is from ordinary people, whether it's Canadians or Americans, ordinary Americans, or, or people around the world that, that see this thing, who love the freedom, who cherish their freedom, who believe that, that we are, we have God-given liberties, the job of which the, it, it's the job of the government to protect these. And right now, that's not what we're getting. You know, what we're getting is, is tyranny. And whether that's in, again, whether that's in Canada, whether it's in Australia, whether it's in Germany, whether it's in France, whether it's been in Great Britain or in the United States, I mean, this is what we've got. And it's either going to be a matter of people saying, no, we're not going to go along with this, or we're going to end up and we're going to find ourselves in a, a very dark night indeed. You know, I used to wonder when I was a kid, you know, I'd read about World War II, and you know, you'd see like the the Nazi regime, how they get into power. Or you'd you'd read about. I mean, I grew up during the Cold War, and you think, well, how is it possible for the communists and all their awful ideas and all the awful things that they brought with them, all the death and destruction and and ungodliness and just just hateful philosophy uh, that destroyed so many lives? And how could how could this happen in a society? Well. You know, I don't really wonder that so much anymore because I can see the tyranny growing up all around me. You know, and as Christians, we have an obligation to speak out against this. You know, civil government is legitimate. I mean, civil we're, we're not anarchists. You know, we believe in civil government. Civil government is a creation. It's a creature of, of the Lord himself. It's put there as a partial punishment and also as a partial cure or as a punishment and a partial cure for sin. So I mean, if if we you know, if had had Adam not fallen into sin, I mean, we wouldn't need civil government. It's not a natural institution, but it's something that's instituted by God. You know, the uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that civil government is a good thing. It can do you know it, it's here to uh, to keep us uh, when when civil governments function as it should. It prevents people from it. It legislates morality. You know, you often hear that saying, "Well, you can't legislate morality." Well, actually, you can. I mean, that's one of the chief jobs of civil government is to legislate and enforce morality, basic morality. I can't, you know, people can't kill each other without being punished. You can't steal. You, know, you can't do a lot of things that, that, that people would do if there were no government. So government is a good thing. It's a, it's a blessing from God that we have government, but there are limits to government. Everything does not belong to Caesar. Some things do. That's what Jesus said. You know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. The problem with Caesar is that Caesar forgets that not everything belongs to Caesar. Caesar forgets that he does not have infinite power. Caesar forgets that he's not a God. He's a man. And more and more, we're seeing this just recrudescence, this just recurrence, this, you know, you, you, you thought all of this sort of arbitrary government was a thing of the past. Well, it's coming back. And it's coming back chiefly because we in the West have forgotten the source of our freedoms. You know, I was listening to a, another uh, uh, podcaster, another, uh, somebody who does videos, and he, he cited a verse in Scripture. And he, and he cited, I think it's from maybe 1 Corinthians, but he said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that's true. It's like what Jesus said. If the Son of Man make you, be, make you free, you shall be free indeed. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian faith and liberty go hand in hand. You know, we, we talk about, for instance, uh, 
I remember uh, John Robbins spoke about this one time. He talked about the principal verb of Christianity contrasted with the principal verb of, say, Islam. The principal verb of Islam is submit, submit, submit. That's uh, Islam, I believe, even means submit or submission. Christianity, it's believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. It's believe, believe, believe. And one of the great blessings that we get from God, in addition to being freed from the, the, the wrath and curse of God, one of the temporal blessings we get is, is economic and political liberty. And that's the basis, that's the foundation for the liberties that we have enjoyed here in the West for several hundred years now. It's been a great blessing. But these things are being seriously challenged. And as Christians, we have an obligation. I mean, what's that the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians? He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Or the New King James has rather expose them. And what, one of the unfruitful works of darkness is tyranny. That's an unfruitful work of darkness. And you and I as Christians, we have an obligation to speak out against this. We have an, op- we have an obligation to reprove, rebuke these, these men who are, are pushing this tyranny. We have an obligation to say no. We're not going along with this. So let's see, moving on here. Found a, uh, a tweet. Okay, this was an interesting tweet. It was from a, well, let's see. I originally found it on a, on a, there's a Twitter feed out there. It's called Reopening California Schools. And I think this is interesting here. It's, it's uh, how it started, how's it going? So how it started, and this is a tweet from, blow that up a little bit. Yeah, it's a tweet from August of 2021. It's It says this, babies and young children study faces. So you may worry that having mass caregivers would harm children's language development. There are no studies to support this concern. Young children will use other clues like gestures and tone of voice. And it says here, being around adults wearing masks doesn't delay baby speech or language development. And then over here where it says how it's going. CDC quietly lowers early childhood speech standards. Since children are no longer able to reach these previously attainable milestones, they have been lowered. And you come over here. Here's the, the actual article I found in the uh, website. It's called The, the Post Millennial. And it, it gives a little bit more detail. It says the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has quietly changed the standards for early childhood development as the effects of pandemic policies on children's development from speech to reading to other basics becomes increasingly more apparent. And here's another tweet here. The CDC just quietly lowered the standards for speech and early childhood development. Now children should know about 50 words at 30 months rather than 24. So six more months. Their their, their development's been delayed about 25%. Instead of highlighting the harmful effects of masks and lockdowns have on children, the CDC just lowered the bar for milestones. So, I mean, this is something I've, I've seen quite a bit on this, is some of the negative effects that this is having on children. And apparently this is, um, you know, there's more and more data coming out that this is the case. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm maybe enough of a contrarian or maybe enough of a conspiracy theorist. Someone might say, well, maybe that's, you know, I think, well, maybe that's part of the desired effect. You know, maybe they're trying to make everybody stupid and afraid. I, I don't think that that's a big stretch. I really don't. You know, and I can't imagine, you know, growing up as a, as a, as a child dealing with some of these lockdown these these covid measures whether it's social distancing lockdowns masks i mean i see kids out there every day either walking to school or riding on the school bus with these masks on their face i can't believe i'm see what i'm seeing it really bothers me I, I hate it i hate it well here's another 
piece. Uh, this is from the Defender. This is uh, Robert uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s website. He's the one that's done a lot of work in opposing vax mandates. And this is a headline here. It says, Corporate Vaccine Mandates and Vaccine Passports, brought to you by BlackRock and Vanguard. Investment giants BlackRock and Vanguard stand to benefit from their ownership stakes in most of the corporations that impose COVID vaccine mandates and in some of the technology firms developing vaccine passports. So just read through a little bit of this here. It says, after the U.S. Supreme Court last month froze the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandates for large private employers, some companies, including Boeing, General Electric, and Starbucks, dropped plans to implement the mandate. Others, based on guidance issued in 2020 by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, left the mandates in place. Most of the large employers adopted to mandate COVID vaccines for their employees, even though the Supreme Court ruled they didn't have to, have something in common. BlackRock and the Vanguard Group have ownership stakes in them. So if you're not familiar with BlackRock or the Vanguard Group, those are two very large financial firms. And they have a, a lot of weight in, in the financial world. And they own a lot of shares of a lot of these big mega public corporations. And one of the, the things this article is, is alleging here is that these companies that they own these large positions in, that they are still imposing vaccine mandates. So let's read a little bit further here. BlackRock and Vanguard, two of the world's big three asset managers, also are among the top three shareholders of COVID vaccine makers Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson which means the two investment giants stand to benefit from these companies' soaring profits and the resulting rise in those companies' stock prices. So BlackRock and Vanguard, they owe a bunch of shares of, of Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. So they have an interest in continuing to drive revenue to these companies uh, so, so as to benefit from the stock price. That's at least what this article is alleging here. And so what they do is they own all of these other companies and then they, and they put pressure on these other companies to continue VAX mandates, even though there's no legal requirement for them to do so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great situation. You know? And so the, the, you know, all these people, millions of people around the country, all these people who work for these companies are faced with this terrible prospect of taking a, a, a dangerous and ineffective vaccine or losing their job. And I think that's a terrible thing to to confront anyone with. Even let's say for a moment, let, let, let's suppose this. Let's suppose that this was vaccine was 100% safe. It was as safe as a saline solution. And and it was 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 perfectly effective against COVID. Still mandating that somebody take it is no that that in in my opinion the government has no business doing that, and private companies have no business imposing that on their workforce. Yeah, and yet these, you know, there are a lot of companies, there are a lot of uh, people in government who who don't see it that way. Now they think they have a right to basically uh, throw you on the ground and uh, jab a needle in your arm. Let's see here, just reading through a little bit more of this. BlackRock, the fourth branch of government, combined BlackRock and Vanguard manage more than fifteen trillion in global assets. To put this figure in perspective, that amounts to more than three-fourths of the U.S. gross domestic product and more than triple the GDP of the European Union's economic powerhouse, Germany. So these are, are companies are just gigantic. You know, BlackRock and Vanguard put together, just they're just gigantic. And down here, it, it gives a list of all of these big, major uh, American firms that are still imposing vax mandates on their employees. And the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, you can just scroll through here, and if you have to, and if you're unfortunate enough to work for one of these companies, well, you know, you're 
uh, and, and you're opposed to the vaccines, well, you're you're in serious trouble. You know, like here's one. Here's T-Mobile. It announced it will fire corporate employees who are not fully vaccinated by April 2nd. Vanguard and BlackRock are its two biggest stockholders at 3.28% and 2.38% respectively. You know, Twitter, Tyson Foods, Uber, United Airlines, UPS. I mean, these are all companies that you've heard of. And just scrolling through here, um, I'm not going to go through every single one of those one of those uh, companies, but you get the point. I mean, it's this is something that's still these vax mandates are still things that Americans and not just Americans, but people in other countries are still having to face. You know, jab or job, take the jab or you don't have a job. Individual liberty doesn't matter. Liberty of conscience does not matter. Even scientific principles like herd immunity don't matter. You know, it's vax, 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 vax. Even though there's tons of evidence out there that suggests the more you vax, the more COVID there is. You know, it's vax, 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 COVID, COVID, COVID. Why is it the most vaccinated countries on earth consistently have these terrible spikes in COVID? Is there possibly a relationship between those two things? I think very likely there is. Let's see. One last thing I wanted to take a look at here. This is another article from The Defender. Again, this is... uh, uh, RFK Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s website, The Defender, The Children's Health Defense, News and Views. It's got a headline here. It says, Why Aren't We Investigating the Surge in Sudden Deaths of Athletes? And this is by Dr. Joseph Merkula. And he writes, In the past six months, a slew of professional amateur athletes have collapsed and died on the field. Yet mainstream media appear to take this in stride, acting as if what is happening is completely normal. And it goes through here. It's a, I'm not going to read through the whole article again. It's, it's fairly long. But this is just a a few bullet points from here. It says, UK football legend and sports commentator Matt Letizier, I hope I'm saying that name right, has been speaking out about the large number of athletes who have collapsed or died on the field and has lost his job as a result. So, okay, you know, people are dying out there in the field and you speak out against it. Well, obviously, you're you're history. You you, you can't even make observations. I mean, even if you're 100%, if you think the vaccines are the most awesome thing in the world, and I know they're, they're not really vaccines. If you think the jabs, the shots, the inoculations, whatever the term is, even if you think these are the most awesome things ever, this should bother you. Because even if you think vaccines are the greatest thing ever, there's going to come a time, probably sometime in your life, when you're going to be on the minority side of a particular particular debate. And do you want to be canceled? Do you want to be lose your job? Do you want to be basically unpersoned? Because you have an unpopular opinion, or at least an opinion that's unpopular with certain powerful people. I mean, that's why we have constitutionally protected rights. It's to protect especially minorities. I mean, we don't have a First Amendment to the Constitution so we can talk about the weather. We have a First Amendment to the Constitution so we can discuss and debate issues about which there's disagreement. Things that are controversial without having to worry about having our our property taken from us, being thrown in jail, our families harassed, or all these other terrible things. You know, just like up there in Canada, you know, these people who have simply been trying to get a hearing from the government, and the government won't talk to them. You know, now they're talking about, well, we're going to go arrest you, we're going to cancel your insurance, we're going to take your money from your bank account, we're going to take your cryptocurrencies. Oh, and we're going to we're and we're going to kill your dog too. You know, it reminds me of something like right out of the uh, it was at the the uh, the Wizard of Oz, you know, with the the Wicked Witch of the West. She's there staying when staying in front of Dorothy, and and Dorothy's got her dog there, and and she says, "I'll get you, my pretties." 
and your little dog too. Well, that's almost literally what the what Justin Trudeau's government said. They're going to take the if you're a trucker up there. Well, we're going to arrest you. We're going to going to ruin you financially. Oh, and we're going to kill your dogs too, or cats, or whatever pets you happen to have. We're going to euthanize them. And they're just they're horrible people. Just horrible people. So anyway, back to Matt Letizier here. Says he's never seen he's never seen anything like it in the 17 years he played football. Now, of course, football. He's talking about what the we Yanks over here would call soccer, but uh, they they call it football over there across the pond. And he says Letizier says he's never seen anything like it here in the 17 years uh, he played football. He's calling for an investigation into the events and says ignoring it is a massive dereliction of duty by the officials. Well, yes, it is. I agree with him. Fact checkers and government officials are trying to negate or discredit information supports the theory that the mRNA injections are behind the sudden onslaught of injury and death and that they are studiously ignoring investigating the allegations. The Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System reflects injuries to athletes in the general population, but it's possible that the reports are nowhere near current. With every single, with every passing day, the list of people suffering tragic consequences from the COVID mRNA shots grows longer. And it talks about some of the results, uh, whether it's Bell's palsy, myocarditis, heart attacks, miscarriages, women who've lost babies. You know, maybe these people and their stories have remained hidden from the public view. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms have censored the personal stories and videos of individuals documenting their injuries and permanent disabilities. So those who only read mainstream media are unaware of the overwhelming damage being done in the name of science. And he continues here, but as described by Matt Letizier in the first seconds of the video above, this is far from normal. Letizier is a soccer legend, a sport called football in the UK. His prowess in the field earned him the nickname Le God before leaving the sport to become a sports commentator most recently with Sky Sports. As he describes in the interview, he lost that job for speaking out and bringing attention to the large number of unexplained sudden cardiac deaths happening to professional amateur athletes around the world. We well, you know, I haven't watched this video here. Why don't we play a little bit of this here and see what I've never seen says. anything like it. Um, I, I played for 17 years. Um, I don't think I saw one person in 17 years have to come off a football pitch with uh, breathing difficulties, clutching their heart, uh, heart problems. Um, you know, there have been... Very rare occurrences, uh, Mark Vivian Foe, uh, Fabrice Wamba, very high profile stuff. Um, but they were few and far between. And the, re the, the reason you remember them is because they were so few and far between and they were um, eye-opening things. But, but the, the last year, it's just been unbelievable how many people, not just footballers, sports people in general, you know, about tennis players, about uh, cricketers, basketball players, just how many are just keeling over. Um, and at some point, surely you have to say, this isn't right. This needs to be investigated. So that's about a 42-minute video there. Obviously, we're not going to go through that whole thing. But yeah, that's pretty powerful. You know, he said in 17 years of playing, you know, he had never seen you know, anybody collapse. And now it seems like it's it's almost just becoming a a thing. You know, you go to a soccer game and you almost expect somebody to to uh you know be carted off the field with an apparent heart attack or or some kind of cardiac problem. I mean this has really become a thing and you know people are noticing this, but somehow you're not supposed to say anything about it. So that's uh it's uh, it's a disturbing you know it's disturbing to read this and it's 
you know, there there doesn't seem to be any any interest, any any uh, sense of urgency on the part of the the officials, the people that run things, to investigate this and find out what's going on. I would think you'd want to know that. But it doesn't seem that anybody in charge wants to know that, or maybe they do know the answer, and they just they they don't want to investigate it for that reason because they already know what the cause of it is. Moving on here, let's take a look at the article that I did want to talk about principally here today, and that is an article I found on Steve Kirsch's Substack newsletter last week. Let's see, this is back. This is dated February thirteenth, so this would have been, uh, I guess, what last Sunday. And it says, today's pandemic response is eerily similar to the smallpox pandemic response. And he asked, do you remember how we got out of the mandates for smallpox? Most of my readers won't remember it, probably because it happened over 135 years ago. Here's the amazing story of what happened. This insight comes from one of my readers, a Midwestern doctor who writes A's newsletter, which was just launched three hours ago. In turn, he got it from the amazing book, Dissolving Illusions, by Dr. Suzanne Humphreys and Roman Bistriniac, which describes the history of vaccines, public health, and the anti-vax movement which started in the 1700s. I wanted to share it with you because what happened over 135 years ago is very similar to what is happening now. So how they solved it 135 years ago. The solution was, the solution then was not trying to convince decision makers using rational scientific arguments. It was a mass public protest that resulted in the abandonment of what the experts were saying to do and the adoption of new methods that worked that were opposed by the medical community. Hmm, does any of that sound familiar? Here's what a Midwestern doctor wrote in the comments of my last article. What is currently happening with the COVID mandates and protests is nearly identical to what happened 135 years ago with the smallpox vaccine campaigns, where the vaccination made smallpox epidemics worse, the vaccines killed a lot of people, the public refused them, and governments responded by harsher and harsher mandatory vaccination laws. Eventually, one of the largest protests of the century broke out in 1885. Vaccine mandates were scrapped in one area in favor of alternative management of smallpox, and this is what actually ended smallpox. My belief is that this is a very important message to get out to the current protest movement and would do a lot of good if it does. I wrote a 10-page concise but detailed and referenced summary of everything that happened, and I want, and I want to be made available, but I do not want credit for it. The entire summary can be found here, and I would greatly appreciate it if you could bring awareness to this issue. And here's a, a key paragraph that, that Steve Kirsch has excerpted. He says, Eventually, one of the largest protests of the century occurred in 1885 in Leicester, an English city. Leicester's government was replaced, mandatory vaccination abolished, and public health measures rejected by the medical community were implemented. These measures were highly successful and once adopted globally ended the smallpox epidemic. Something most erroneously believed, something most erroneously believed arose from vaccination. And Kirsch uh, summarizes, he says, in short, what worked was a mass protest plus implementing new health measures that were opposed by the medical community. When these measures worked, most people believed it was the vaccine that finally saved everyone. An amazing number of parallels with what happened 135 years ago. As you read what happened 135 years ago, you're going to be absolutely stunned and I was, I was absolutely stunned by this, by the similarities with what is happening today. Here's one possible explanation. And he quotes a, a tweet by this one fellow. And this guy says, Fauci was a student of the smallpox pandemic and made sure that we've made all the same mistakes in order to maximize courage and fatalities. 
Well, of course, that writer is assuming that the that Fauci and company are are pushing this pandemic uh, in the vaccines and all this not to to try to help people, not to cure people, but to harm them. And I think that is a distinct possibility. I do. I I, I think that that very well could be exactly what's going on here. Uh, Steve Kirsch continues, back then, vaccination made things worse, so they doubled down on the intervention and required it for people. The result? Even worse results. Nobody ever figured out the more you vaccinate, the worse things got. By the end of 1868, more than 95% of the inhabitants of Chicago had been vaccinated. After the Great Fire of 1871, strict vaccine laws were passed, and vaccination was made a condition of receiving relief supplies. Chicago was then hit with a devastating smallpox epidemic in 1872, where over 2,000 persons contracted smallpox with over 25% dying, and a fatality rate among children under five being the highest ever recorded. Kirsch comments, isn't that interesting? Here's another snippet. As widespread skepticism of the vaccination increased, enforcement increased, with no legal recourse available to opt out of the immunization regardless of the situation or physician recommendation. Reports abound across the world of vaccination resistors being fined and jailed or forcibly va- forcefully vaccinated, with parents often opting to receive these punishments in order to spare their children from vaccination. Tensions reached the boiling point on March 23, 1885. A large protest estimated at 80,000 to 100,000 people erupted. It was composed uh, of citizens of all professions from across England and received support from citizens across Europe who could not attend it. The procession was two miles long, with displays showing the popular sentiments against vaccination present throughout the crowd. The demonstration was successful, and the local government acceded to and acknowledged their demands for liberty. Well, at least in that regard, they were better off than Justin Justin Trudeau, where he just tells everybody, your ideas are unacceptable, and then goes and hides or you know sticks the cops on them. We continue here. Many of the descriptions of this protest and the jubilant mood there are extremely similar to reports I've read of the truckers of the truckers' protest. The manufacturing town of Leicester was subject to England's 1840 law requiring immunization and the 1859 law requiring every child to be vaccinated within three months of birth. Assaults on officers enforcing vaccination occurred and riots periodically broke out. This 1874 quote from Emeritus Professor F.W. Newman encapsulates the mood of the time. Decorous and admissible language fails me, in alluding to that which might have seemed incredible 30 years ago, the commanding of vaccination on the second child of a family when vaccination has killed the first, and then sending the father to prison for refusal. So did you get that? This is, this is a quote. This is a, a quote in 1874 from a professor, uh, F.W. Newman. And he was describing what was going on, that... Uh, I'm going to read that quote again because this really, really stunned me when I read this. Quote, Decorous and admissible language fails me in alluding to that which might have seemed incredible 30 years ago, the commanding of vaccination of a second child of a family when vaccination has killed the first and then sending the father for prison to prison for refusal. End quote. So, I mean, this is going on in the 19th century. They had these laws over there in England, you know, and, and I guess there would be people who would, like, maybe the officers would go over there and, and they would try to maybe bring a doctor or somebody along, try to force vaccinate a child. And, and the parents would look at this and say, hey, you already killed my first child with your vaccine. Now you want to, you want to kill the second one? And they refuse vaccination and the father would get sent to prison. 
I mean, can you believe that? But I mean, this was going on in the 19th century. And of course, this is the kind of thing that that uh, Anthony Fauci and like people like, uh, who's that uh, That doctor, uh, Lena, Lena Wynn? She's the one that used to be head of Planned Parenthood. I guess she didn't get enough, didn't kill enough kids as uh, head of Planned Parenthood. So I guess she wants to kill them with vaccines and kill adults too, I guess, uh, thrown, in, uh, thrown in there. Yeah, she's the one that was, was talking about how in this country, how in America we have privileges. Well, we don't have privileges. Americans don't have privileges. We, have, we don't have a bill of privileges. We have a bill of rights. And she doesn't seem to understand that. And here's how the, the intervention, and this, this is what actually finally solved the problem here. I'm going to read this. That year, following the protests, the government was replaced, mandates were terminated, and by 1887, vaccination coverage rates had dropped to 10%. To replace the vaccination model, the Leicester activists proposed a system of immediately quarantining smallpox patients, disinfecting their homes, and quarantining their contacts alongside improving public sanitation. The medical community vehemently rejected this model and zealously predicted Leicester's gigantic experiment would soon result in a terrible massacre, especially in the unprotected children, who are viewed by government physicians as bags of gunpowder that could easily blow up schools, along with much other hateful and hyperbolic rhetoric directed at them. The smallpox apocalypse would forever serve as a lesson against vaccine refusal the medical profession bet their stake upon. As the predicted catastrophe fails to emerge, Leicester had dramatically lower rates of smallpox and subsequent epidemics than other fully vaccinated towns. Various rationalizations were put forward to explain this, but as the decades went by, a gradual public acceptance of Leicester's methods emerged. But even 30 years later, the New York Times article still predicted a disaster was right around the corner, and it was imperative Leicester change their methods. Fortunately, the value of Leicester's novel approach of quarantining and improving public hygiene was recognized and gradually adopted around the world, leading to the eventual eradication of smallpox. I'm going to actually put a put a link in the show notes to this story because I thought this was so interesting. But I wanted to to read through some of it and, and share that with you because this I, I found I mean this is one of those things that you know history is very interesting. I, I've loved history. I think I've said that before. I think part of me wishes I I could have been historian because when you go back and you read things like this, you realize that you, you can you have an opportunity to to get a whole new perspective not only on things that were going on in the past but also things that that we're dealing with today. So it seems like that that thing in the ni- that thing with the smallpox in the 19th century it actually has quite a bit uh, uh quite a bit of foreshadowing to what you and I are dealing with here with uh, all the various covid mandates. So anyway, that about wraps things up for this week. I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. It's always great to have you here. For any those of you on the live stream or those of you listening to the, the podcast itself, thanks so much for your support. I really appreciate that. It's been great uh, spending some time here talking about some of these really super important issues. I know it sometimes seems to me like this has become an all-COVID, all-the-time channel. Well, you know, maybe that's because it, it is important. And, and it, it, it's far more than just a, a disease. It's far more than uh, a pandemic. This is, this is really a, a philosophical issue. There, it, it's, the, it's the philosophy of tyranny versus the, philo- the Christian philosophy of liberty. And I know which side I'm on. And I know which side I encourage you to be on. Again, that's all for this week. Thanks so much for joining me. Until we talk again next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. 